Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. If you've got your Bibles, you may want to open them to uh, 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3. is going to be our main text. And by the way, I didn't say this, but you can remove your mask if you're seated and you want to. If, you're, if you'd rather keep them on, feel free to do that um, as well. Um, you may want to turn to 1 John. Uh, chapter 3 is going to be kind of our primary text today. But I want to start with this verse from Ephesians. Um, because the, the title of my message today is, is Unity. Uh, what does love have to do with it? What, what, what does love have to do with this thing called unity? Now, God inspired the Apostle Paul to write uh, this letter that we call the letter to the Ephesian church, but it was really not to just one church. It, be, it got passed around a lot. And so it was one of those letters that churches all over uh, Asia Minor had access to and would, would have read. And one of the statements that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to, to write in Ephesians chapter 4 was this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Make every effort. Well, one of the ways that we make an effort towards something is we first have to understand that thing. We have to understand what, what is it. And in this case, we, I think we need to understand what is the main ingredient in unity. You know, the, the word unity has the, the smaller word within it, it. And so what is the it of unity is kind of what I'm, I'm after today. Now, you may want to think of it as kind of like the secret sauce. You know, there, there are big companies um, that have spent millions of dollars on trying to protect their secret ingredient, you know, Coca-Cola for years had their, you know, their special formula. Um, the colonel at KFC had his special recipe. And they would, they would guard the, those, those things like crazy. McDonald's, you know, had their Big Mac special sauce. How many of you all remember the song? Sing it with me. To all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Yay! I see you all going to McDonald's. No, I don't. You know, they, they, they would spend lots of money to keep their secrets because they didn't want the competition to kind of jump on it and, 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 and use that. Now, one of the things that I, I have begun and others have begun to feel as of late, and I would say this is not only for the capital C church, but for individual local churches is at times it has begun to seem like we are cut off from the secret sauce of unity, from the, that, that, that main ingredient. Now, the problem's not because God locked it away somewhere in a vault. God didn't do that. He, he's not trying to, to hide it. God's on, actually gone to great lengths to kind of put it out there. To, to tell us what, uh, to, to reveal, if you would, to shine his light on what unity is about. And he uses the apostle John. John was, uh, John was just this beloved disciple. In fact, John, uh, when you read the gospel of John, in the writing, you will see every now and then pop up this phrase, the disciple that Jesus loved. You remember who John was talking about when he wrote that? Himself. Because he just, he was overwhelmed, he was knocked over 
by the love that Jesus displayed to him personally, intimately. And so it's not, it wouldn't be unusual for John to be kind of the champion apostle of, of this thing called love. God used him to write one of the Gospels. God used him to write three of the dynamic letters to the church, the epistles of John. Uh, God in, inspired him with a vision, Jesus did, to write the book of, uh, of Revelation. And, and John is just amazed with the love of God. Now, um, back in 2017, we took four months and we walked through that, that first epistle. We walked through that, that first letter of John. And one of the things that we noticed was the, the whole letter is kind of like a, a giant spiral staircase. And what John did was he just kind of went around and around and around and around and around the same three or four subjects. Just over and over again, he would just repeat himself. He would say it a little bit differently, but he, he would really focus on the same several things. And, and one of those themes was believe what's right. He was battling against Gnosticism that has worked its way in the church. So he would just constantly go back to say, you got to have right doctrine. you got to believe what's right. But then he would also say, you have got to love other people you got to love one another. And he just keeps circling back around those and, and speaking about them in fresher and, and, and deeper ways, just trying to get that across. Now, one of the things that it's fairly easy for Christians to spot in others is false doctrine. We, we, can, we can oftentimes pick up on false doctrine, the fake from the, the real. And oftentimes it's because they're, they're practiced. They don't practice righteousness, and so their, their belief is off. But sometimes we miss this part of, 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 of loving. Look, look, what, look what 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 says. It says, by, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Man, that's a big comparison. It says this, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And there's almost this kind of equal footing there with uh, righteousness and, and the love of, of brothers. Now, I want to I focus today on love, so I want to I remind us of kind of the biblical, de- I don't want to just call it a definition, it's a description it's what love looks like. It's how you'll know, oh, that's, that's what it is. That, that's what love looks like. First Corinthians chapter 13 says this, love is patient, and it is kind, and it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant. It, it doesn't, it's not rude. It does not insist on having its own way. It's not irritable, and it's not resentful. Now that, that's a, a standard, God's standard of love. And from time to time, we all need to, to stand up against that and let it inform our lives of kind of where we are in those characteristics. It's a, it's a biblical description. That, so we can know it when we see it and measure our lives by it. But let me give you another warning that Jesus uh, gave to his followers uh, about our love. He said this would happen uh, when things got bad. And he's talking in Matthew chapter 24 about the events before he returns. And in Matthew tw- chapter 24, Jesus says this, and because of lawlessness, 
or because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow what? It'll grow cold. Now, I don't know about you, but when, you know, I pull up my news feed or turn on the TV or whatever, it looks like lawlessness has increased. Lawlessness has been kicked up about 20 notches in my book. So one of the questions you and I have to be asking ourselves in this season is this. Has my love grown cold? Or maybe better yet, where has my love grown cold? How are you maybe right now dealing with somebody who disagrees with you politically? How are you handling that? Are you still devoted to them if they're a brother or, or, or sister in Christ? Or has your devotion to them kind of cooled, maybe chilled a bit? Maybe even soured? What, what, has your love grown cold? I want to go back to our, our text and look at, um, we're just going to go ahead and read the rest of, of that, that section of Scripture in, in 1 John um, chapter 3. And uh, we're going to pick up now with verse 11. John says this, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But... If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet does not, um, excuse me, sees his brother in need, uh, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Now, most all of us know this. But it's just one of those things that I felt compelled that we all needed reminding of. And that is, Christians, Christ followers, ought to be known as people who love. Not, not warm fuzzies, but devotion and commitment to one another. Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If what happens? If you love one another. He didn't say that the world will know if you got really good doctrine. Now, it's important. We ought to. Uh, We we can have, in in fact, if you love Christ fully, you'll you'll believe rightly. But he didn't say that. He didn't say it was going to be the worship songs you sing or the hymns that you sing or the clothes that you wear. He said the one distinctive, the one thing that's going to be different that'll point you out to the world is the way that you love each other. Now, again, we're able to discern quickly 
false doctrine among each other a lot of times. But here's what the Bible says the world looks for when it's looking for us. It's, it's our love for one another. John 13, 35 says this, by this, that, that this is the secret sauce. It's that, that secret recipe ingredient. This is that we love one another. Now, in the second century, there was a, um, he, he was basically like a, 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 a columnist for the New York Times who constantly was kind of trashing Christians. His name was Lucian. He lived in the second century, and Lucian uh, disdained. He mocked Christians all the time. Um, but interestingly, his writings about Christians are one of the things that historians use in order to validate the existence of the early church and to validate some of the early teachings because he scoffed at them. He'd write, you know, he, some of the things that we actually believe as Christians, but he would make fun of them. And so historians know that, okay, this is a really good sign that this actually, this is the way the church lived. This is the way, way they acted. And, and one day, he was making fun of Christians. He said, it's just incredible to see the fervor with which these people of this religion help each other. They spare absolutely nothing, for this Jesus has put it into the, their hearts that they are brothers. I mean, he was mocking that. That, that we think of one another as brothers and sisters. He was, he was mocking that. Now, sadly, in our day, I don't know if satirists of our faith look at us and mock that. Because I'm not so sure that they, they see that. I think when the media points us out these days, they're, they're normally talking about how we're devouring one another. How we're fighting against one another. How, you know, we're fussing about whether we need to be online or in person. Whether we need to be, have mask or, or, or no mask. It just all kinds of petty, petty things. And they just keep pointing to that. Not, not how we love one another. Not how, how we draw close to one another, but those petty things. And the word of God that we just read, verses 11 through 18, John has once again... If you, if you read it earlier, he's picked up this theme of love being the essential ingredient in unity. And so this is kind of the first point of my message is this. The mystery of unity is really love. The, the reason that Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to say, work hard. Some translations say with all diligence. Guard, protect, hang on to with everything you've got the unity of, of the Spirit. And John has, has pointed this out. Look back at verse 11. It says, for this is the message that you have heard from when? Fr from the beginning, that you should love one another. You, you, it's, it's from the beginning. Now, in our day, the, the word love gets misconstrued. We, we probably uh, use it without much distinction. You know, I know I will say something like, you know, in one breath, I love chocolate cake. <laughs> And then I'll look at Kathy and say, love you, babe. Same word, but hope to God, it has different meanings. But we, we, we kind of throw that, that, that around. See, love, love is something that most of us would expect in any relationship of intimacy. We, we, you kind of naturally expect with, you know, the way a parent loves a child or a, a husband loves a wife, you'd expect a protective kind of love. 
I remember years ago reading um, a, a story out of, any of y'all remember the old uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul series? You know, those books. There was one that was like Chicken Soup for the Souls of Couples, or it had the word couples in it. And one of the stories in there, because there are a lot of stories in there, it was about this um, couple. They were in their early 60s. Um, they were from Holland, Michigan. And they had planned for about two years to take this trip to Montana. And one of the, they were hikers. And one of the things they were going to do, they were going to hike in the, the Glacier National Park in Montana. And they had picked out these trails and done all this research and, and had, had actually hiked one day. And on their second day, I think it was of hiking, uh, they, they rounded a bend. They were up kind of in, in, in the high altitudes of the mountains. They rounded a bend and immediately they spotted and were simultaneously spotted by a bear with her two cubs. And the wife, Lorraine, describes kind of what happens next. She said, before they could fall to the ground and get it in the fetal position, which they had read was the defensive position, um, if, you, if you just knew the bear was coming at you, um, before she could, any of the, they could do that, the husband was attacked by the bear. And he was trying, he had tried to pull his backpack around to the front of him and, and fend the bear off, but the bear was tearing through the backpack and had literally grabbed him by an arm and started dragging him down the mountain. And Lorraine said she, the, the first thought through, that went through her mind was, um, he's not leaving me out here by myself. And she, she said all these things happen in microseconds, but she, they, they had raised dogs, and she knew that if you hit a dog hard enough on the bridge of his nose, he would often let go of what he had. So she had a, a, a pretty hefty set of binoculars that she went after the bear with. And she beat the bear's nose. She says she thinks it was about four times with that heavy binocular. And the bear let go and turned and saw its cubs running the other way and took off after the cubs. And I, I love what, what her husband said. Her, her husband was quoted in the hospital saying this. If it weren't for mama with those binoculars, I wouldn't be here today. There's probably a great truth to that. You know, that, that's, that's an example of what we would think of love would naturally do. It would defend. It would protect. And John's not writing here about the love of a parent or the love of a spouse or the love of your next door neighbor or of your, your mom or dad or people that you're friends with, people in your small group. They're talking about Christians, other believers, all of God's children. Sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? There are just some times that, you know, I don't act in such a way that makes you just want to love me. And all of us are, are, are like that. But he, here's what John is saying. This message from God to love one another goes all the way back to the beginning. I think some people think, you know, the 60s generation came up with love. Um, uh, you know, or somebody else did. But God's word says it went all the way back to the beginning. This mystery, you know, uh, this special ingredient, it's been hiding in plain sight forever. And so John pushes on this truth very hard in his letter. Uh, in 1 John chapter 1, if you go back to the opening of his letter, uh, 1 John 1, 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have handled with our hands concerning the word of life. He's, he's saying this, this thing called love found in Jesus, it goes all the way back from the beginning. If you get to the second chapter in, in chapter 2, verse 24, he said, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. He keeps pushing us back to the beginning, saying this message of love is not something new. So why do you think John has to keep circling around this? Because Christians were not living it out. You know, one of the things that uh, I, I love about God's word is the consistency of this message, all the way from the beginning. You know, every now and then, you've probably heard people say, you know, the, the, I, I don't believe in God because the God of the old, the, there's no consistency. You know, the God of the Old Testament, he's like a God of wrath and angry. And then you get to the New Testament and Jesus shows up and he's this, this God of love. You know what that proves to me when I hear somebody say that? They haven't read the Old Testament. You know, they, they probably just haven't read the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is filled with the love of God. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, it says this. God says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 19, a few verses down, verse 34, you shall treat the stranger. This is not just your family now, but a stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall treat him just like your brother, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. See, God is pretty serious about this, this thing called love. And not only was it in the message back in the beginning, but it's the, it's the heart and, and, and the soul and message of, of the gospel. At the beginning of the gospel, in Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus is teaching, someone comes to him and tries to trap him and says, what's the greatest commandment? And, and, and Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. you got to love others. But going beyond that, back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Love, love even beyond just your brothers. Love just beyond your neighbors. Love your enemies. I mean, that's kind of like the pinnacle of the teaching of love, of the gospel of love. It goes beyond just kind of protecting those that are in your own household. But love your enemies. See, and, and Jesus, if you read all of that passage, it goes on to say, so that you might be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, that's not, that doesn't mean that saves you. What that means is so that you'll know you are. You'll have confidence in your salvation because you're living out the love of God. See, Jesus taught in the very beginning of the gospel to love. You know what the other religious leaders of his day taught? Hate. They, they literally taught people to hate by the way they acted towards them and encouraged them to act towards them. The, the, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees of the day, would avoid a Gentile, which would be everybody in this room pretty much. A couple of you probably are of Jewish birth or descendancy. But you would be walked around. You would be, you would be shunned. And in fact, as they walked around you, they would do this. Because they did not want their robe to touch you. Because if the wind came and caught their robe and it touched you, they would consider themselves now 
unclean because their robe touched you. How's that make you feel? You know, it, it was just crazy stuff. They, they would think they were defiled. They would wake up in the morning and pray this prayer. Thank you, God, I'm not a Gentile. You think that would breed hate? Uh, of course it would. It, it, they, they taught it. They taught a, a law of hatred. And Jesus taught this law of love. The message you heard from the beginning, John said, this is not, it's not new. And just unpack it a little bit more. The, the, that, that word that kind of is translated in the phrase from the beginning can also be translated as the most important. Not only has it been being said from the beginning, it's also the most, most important message. It, it, it's preeminent. Not only has it been shared for a long, long time, it's the most important thing that God wants us to understand about our relationships with one another. Loving God is the highest, and the second is like it, loving one another. And Jesus presses that point through John in verse 14. Look at it with me. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. You can know. You can know you've passed from death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So here's, here's the big question for the day. Do you? Do you? Do you love your brothers and your sisters who disagree with you? Do you love your brothers and sisters who think differently than you? Do you love your brothers and sisters who, who may act differently than you? Not just the ones in your small group, but the ones who are diametrically opposed to some of the things you, you hold dear. Do you love brothers and sisters in Christ? Or is one of the things that you do mentally is even though they, they proclaim their love for Jesus and they have pretty significant right doctrine on the major issues, maybe not the secondary and tertiary like you, but do you in your mind disqualify them as a brother or a sister? Do you write them off? Well, they're just not saved because they don't believe like I do. Is that what happens? Is that how you dismiss them so easily? A brother or a sister in Christ? John says this message of love is from the beginning, and it's the message of first importance to, to our faith. Then John takes a really hard left turn. This is the second thing that I want you to see. And he starts pointing out what mars our unity, what tears at our unity, and the marring of unity is hatred. And some of you right now are going to let yourself off the hook, but don't get off too fast. Okay? Don't get off the hook too fast. You know, what, what, what we're talking about here is that which impairs or scars or wrecks unity. And it comes out of a seedbed of hatred. Look at verse 12. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. That verse, I think, is one of those verses in the scriptures that really destroys the idea that everybody you meet is a child of God. Everybody you meet is created in the image of God, but you only become a child of God 
by repenting and believing, trusting, trusting Jesus. But John, John shows us here that Cain and Abel, they had the same biological parents, but they were of a completely different spiritual lineage. Abel was of God. Cain was of the evil one. And spiritually speaking, you're, you're in one camp or the other. One of those two. You know, you might have the same biological heritage as a sibling and a completely different spiritual heritage. And so the story that John is referring to about Cain back in Genesis 4, you can go, go read it later on today, but I want you to see uh, just a couple of verses there. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the fruit of his, his, the firstborn of his flock. Now, some of you know this, that Cain kind of tilled the ground. He was a farmer, and Abel was a kind of a shepherd. He kept the flocks. And Cain decided one day for worship, instead of doing what God had prescribed for sacrifice, Cain decided, I'm going to bring some fruit today. Instead of bringing an animal that had been sacrificed to the Lord, he decided, I'm going to bring some, some cantaloupe or a grapefruit or something like that. And he brings it. And Abel shows up for worship that day with the kind of sacrifice that God had prescribed. And the Bible says God accepted Abel's but rejected Cain's. See, God had prescribed this. We know this from the covering that God, you know, remember when Adam and Eve sinned? They tried to hide themselves with, you know, vegetation. What did God say? Don't cut it. And God killed, sacrificed an animal, and covered them with the animal skins. God set a pattern of the only thing that covers our sin in his presence is this kind of sacrifice. And Abel decided, hey, I'm just going to go worship God the way I want to. It was kind of a self-styled worship. I'm just going to do it my way, and God, you're just going to have to kind of accept it. He was kind of doing his own, own religion, and boy, do we live in a world where everybody's kind of doing that, just kind of making things up, you know, and worshiping, worshiping it. And God rejected that. You know, he, he just completely rejected that, and it made, it made Cain angry. It, it made him angry. And so Cain takes worship, and because of worship, he murdered his brother. Now we know it started with envy. He envied that God approved of Abel's worship, but he murdered his brother over worship. I can see Kyler, his eyes got big over there just a moment ago. But th this was the first martyr for faith. He was, he was actually a martyr for his religious beliefs. He was killed by, by his own brother murdered we can't turn on anything news related without seeing just the rampant nature of murder around the world in our own backyard it just feels like the world has gone crazy with violence and murder and rage and the bible says that was cain from the beginning and it all had its roots in envy and 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 jealousy and, and here is John setting all of this up so that, so that we see this. He's showing us this, that this was the reason for which Jesus was killed. 
Jesus was killed basically because of jealousy. Some of you will recall this. Um, when we get to Easter, this is one of those accounts that we go back and read from Mark chapter 15. Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate, who is the Roman kind of magistrate. Uh, the, the Jews didn't really have any authority. They couldn't enact what they wanted. They wanted to kill Jesus. The Pharisees did. And so Pilate is kind of, kind of protecting Jesus a little bit here. And so Pilate asked the crowd, would you like me to release the king of the Jews? This is Mark 15. Pilate asked them. And here's why he asked that. Because he realized that the leading priest had arrested Jesus because of what? They envied Jesus. Same thing. Same motivation for Cain killing his brother. See, the, the Pharisees, they had a, their, their biggest problem with Jesus was that his righteous words and his righteous lifestyle shone a light on their sin and hypocrisy. And they couldn't stand it. And it created envy in their hearts and jealousy because people followed Jesus. And anytime, anytime, you shine light on somebody's hidden sin, they have one of two choices. They will either repent and turn to God, just fall on their face, or they will come after you if you're that light. If you're the one that turns that light on, they will, they will come after you. Now, some of you may be saying, Joe, hey, dude, slow your roll, man. Why you got to talk about all this murder stuff up in the church, you know? Do you know something about our, our congregation? I don't know. We got, a, we got a house full of murderers in here. Well, let's, let's look and see what the, the scripture says. Go back to verse 15. It says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. What John is saying is that hatred is the moral equivalent of murder, that there's really no difference between the, the, the act and the attitude. Where, where did John get that? He got it from Jesus. You go back to Matthew chapter 5, start reading in verse 21, it says this, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable for to the judgment. But I say, this is Jesus clarifying this, now I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hell fire. So if you were offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accusers while you were going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Jesus says in the kingdom of God, the action and the attitude are the same. Which is why the Holy Spirit of the living God compelled Paul to write to the church at Ephesus this, this command. Because if not, you're going to end up in the hatred column. He says this, get rid of all bitterness. All bitterness, get rid of that. Get rid of rage. Get rid of anger. Get rid of harsh words and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. 
let me ask you a question here, just, just kind of quickly. What would it look like to take that passage of Scripture and lay it over your Twitter feed or your Facebook posts lately? Are you raging in that world? In, 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 in the social media sphere, in that environment? See, those are, those are steps towards a heart fully blown with hate. And it will always, it will always, it will always destroy unity. And so John is sending this message. And, and God's word constantly does this. And it's a clear warning. Again, verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. J- John says, you got to deal with this. You, you got to face this. Is, this. is this a habit in your life? Are you moving down that, that track? Now, here's the good thing. Even for somebody who has physically committed murder, there is room at the cross for you. The Apostle Paul was not just a murderer in word. He was a murderer in deed. There was room at the cross for Paul. See, Jesus forgives murderers when we repent. Let me quickly move to my last point here. The model of unity. The model of unity is Jesus. Again, back to our text, verse 16. By this we know love. This is how you know it. That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brother. uh, This is ultimately the cross is the demonstration of God's greatest will. And you'll never see the greatness of God's will apart from the cross. Some of you remember um, King David. Uh, King David in uh, Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. You know what the cross declares? It declares and displays the love of God. It, 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 it points it out. And there, there are a couple of things real quickly that I see in this verse about what that love looks like. First of all, that love from Jesus was voluntary. It says that he chose to lay down his life. He, he, he did that. And it says this, he chose to lay down his life. Also, you may remember in John 10, Jesus said, nobody can take my life from me. I willingly lay it down. I do it voluntarily. And if I want to pick it back up again, I can. That's what Jesus said. Jesus, Jesus went willingly. He went voluntarily. The, the other word that comes to mind is, is the word vicarious which means in our place. Jesus died for us. That's what verse 16 says, that he laid down his life for us. And that word, that Greek word there is the word huper, and the word huper can really be translated instead of you. Jesus laid down his life so you wouldn't have to, in, instead of you. Many of you in this room are familiar with Romans 6.23. that says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Jesus stepped in. He stepped in because you had a debt. I had a debt. And he was killed in our place. He was was murdered for you and for me. But there's a second part to that verse. And the second part of that verse says this. And now it applies to us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now this is where the rubber meets the road, man. This is where it really gets, gets personal. And too often, we, you know, our faith gets more defined by what we don't do 
You know, we, we talk about what we shouldn't do. But Jesus most often defines our faith by go do. Go, go do this thing. Look at verse 17 and 18. He said, but if anyone has the world's goods, sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, he does God's, God, excuse me, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not live in word or talk, but in deed and truth. He goes, who has, who has the, the goods of this world? Well, this country does for one. And John is showing us that whatever, whatever capital we have, whether it's food or clothing or influence, if we, have, if we see a brother and sister in need, we need to extend that to them. So John is pushing on this question, how can, how can we say we love God if in our hearts we're callous to a brother or sister in need? Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians again. Ephesians chapter 5, therefore be imitators, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Jesus was marked by love in word but also in deed. Greatest act of compassion ever. I want to I just kind of begin my, my landing here, if you would, by rereading this passage of Scripture, starting in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. He's talking to the church here. This is the message you've heard, church, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. With verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. And But if having, if we have the world's goods and seize our brother in need, it close our heart against him or her, how does God's love abide in us? That's the gospel. That's, that's the transforming power of the gospel. We're called to love our neighbor. We're called to love our enemy. But we are especially called, especially called, primarily called to love one another. Paul writes this to the church at Galatia. In Galatia 6, he says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. That's how we keep the unity. Of the body, I love what Keith Miller, Keith Miller said uh, about what love looks like in the church. He says this. He said, the way to love somebody is to lightly run your finger over that person's soul until you find their crack and then pour your love in it. Rub your, rub your finger over that person's soul when you find their crack because we all got them. Just pour your love right there. Love deeply. You know, love that loves deeply begins with denying self. I want to close just by reading something to you real quickly. I could not find the author of this, but it was beautiful. When you are forgotten or neglected and you sting with hurt and insult, but your heart is happy being counted worthy to suffer for Christ, that is dying to self. When your good is evil spoken of, when your wishes are crossed, when your advice disregarded, even ridiculed, you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even defend yourself, that is dying to self. When you lovingly 
patiently bear disorder, irregularity, or any annoyance, when you stand face to face with waste and folly and extravagance and spiritual insensibility and endure it as Jesus himself endured it, that is dying to self. If you are content with any food or any arraignment or any climate or any society or any attitude by the will of God, that is dying to self. When you never care to refer to yourself in conversation or record your own good works, when you can truly love to be unknown, that is dying to self. When you see your brother prosper and have his needs met and can honestly rejoice with him in spirit and feel no envy nor question God, even while your own needs are far greater, that is dying to self. When you can receive correction and reproof from someone of less authority than yourself, when you can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion or resentment rising in your heart, that is denying self. Let's pray. Lord God, we we come as your people today. And we know, Lord, that so much of what is going on in our world pulls at us in the church. And sometimes we take our eyes off of you and your high callings on our lives because you have the right to call us. You paid for our lives with your blood. We get distracted by the world. We get pulled by the world. And so often it pulls us from our brothers and sisters. It tears at our unity. But dear God, I pray this day for myself and my brothers and sisters at this place called River Bluff, this people that you have united, that we would walk in unity of love, of purpose around the gospel, in love, first of all, God, with you, passionately in love with you, giving praise and honor and thanks to you, Jesus. And as we stay focused on your beauty and your wonder and your love, we can again love each other sacrificially. We can love each other out of a heart that denies self. Lord God, make it so. I pray for us, God, that we would love one another so that the world will know that we are your disciples and prove to the world that you are the beloved Son of God. Help us, we pray. Stir our hearts in this moment. Show us where we need to repent and return. Help us, O oh God, love. Help us love. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.